Our gospel lesson today comes from Luke chapter 15. We're going to read the first three verses and then we're going to jump down a little bit and uh, to verse 11 and then we'll finish out the chapter. So, oops, uh, verse one, the tax or tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of the religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people and even eating with them. So Jesus told them this story. Verse 11, a man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide up his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all of his belongings and he moved to a distant land where he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time that his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have enough food to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. Verse 20, so he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. And kill the calf that we have been fattening. He must, we must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead, and he has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Meanwhile, the older son was working, was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard the music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, all these years I have slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing that you told me to. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and he has come back to life. He was lost, but now he's found. This is the gospel of Christ. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, we, um, as always, are grateful for this room and for these people. Thank you that um, your spirit lingers here in a middle school band room, that you chase after us here in a middle school band room. And so we ask that, um, we believe your spirit's always with us. We ask 
to feel you this morning, to feel your nearness, to hear what you might have for us from your word as we look at this story and our story. And I just, I just pray that you awaken something in us that feels dead, that you find something in us that has been lost, that you breathe uh, new life into places that have been long devastated inside all of us. In your name we pray, amen. Um, so I've been traveling quite a bit over the last couple of weeks, uh, I, some for fun and some for work. Um, but at the beginning of March, I got to do something that's been a dream of mine uh, for a, a while, uh, a number of years. And so uh, before I get to the dream, I need to tell you a little bit about myself. You know that game, If You Really Knew Me, and then you're supposed to say like three things about yourself. Um, I'm not going to tell you three things because... I'm not, you know, I'm not that vulnerable. But, uh, but if you really knew me, um, then you would know that I am technically an introvert, uh, which is funny. Anytime I've ever said this to anyone, they, they laugh at me because usually they know me or they've spent time with me. And they're like, you're not an introvert, but I really am. I'm, I'm, I'm technically, I say technically an introvert because um, if I take a personality test, like, you know, the online personality profiles, or if you got Seventeen Magazine when you were a kid and you... It, uh, girls. Then you filled out those. I can't remember the boy version. I don't know if they had fun personality quizzes in them or not, but um, anytime I ever take a test that that has a uh, introvert, extrovert, I've scored the exact same thing every time, and it's this. I get 49% extrovert, 51% introvert. And so uh, the technical term for that is an outgoing introvert, but what I like to call it is a very confused brain because it's like my brain does not know what to do. Like I am all people or no people and the swing is very stark and it comes at any time and you can't always predict it. Like um, when I extrovert, I extrovert hard. Like I want as many people as I can. I want, I want to go with people I, and I do. I want as many people. Like if you invite me over to your house, if you ever have, you've probably gotten a text where it's like, hey, can I bring so-and-so with me? Because <laughs> I just assume you want as many people as you can to fill your house. Um, or if you come to my house and you say, can I bring so-and-so? I'm like, yes, and invite their mom and their brother and their neighbor, and let's just get to know them all. And we do tables here, our small groups this semester, and the, our goal was eight people, and then I made a table, and actually I have two. Neither of them have eight people in them. I was like, oh, well, I mean, we can do 25 in one, right? It's not 25, but it's like I extrovert so hard. And then when I introvert, I introvert so hard. So the way that looks for me most often is, Sundays are a work day for me, and um, so I pack as much as I can into a Sunday. I I do people from uh, the time I show up at Maryville to print my sermons in the morning to the time I go to bed. I am people all day on Sundays, um, and then on Mondays I crash so hard. Like I crash. If you ever see me on a Monday, which most likely you won't, because I'm hiding from you. Um, I just, I just crashed. Like, uh, uh, Daniel even, he, Daniel doesn't really call very often on Mondays. Like, every once in a while, he'll forget and he'll call and say, do you want to go to lunch today? And I'm like, no. I never want to go to lunch. I'm never eating lunch in public. I will be working on my computer alone in a room. Like, so if I've ever met you for lunch on a Monday, you should feel very loved. 
This is like my greatest act of affection. Um, it's not every Monday, but, but a lot. I, I crash really hard. So back to my dream. So my dream for the last decade or so, I, I was thinking it's probably been about 12 years that I've had this dream. Uh, I got married 13 years ago, and I had kids 11 and a half years ago. Um, and somewhere around that time, this dream was birthed in me that one day I would go to a hotel alone. <laughs> All by myself. When no one... I would go to a hotel, I would get a king-size bed, and I would sleep like this, <laughs> as wide as I could. I would roll around as much as I wanted to. I wouldn't answer any questions, because no one would be there to ask them. I would watch whatever I wanted on TV, and I just would, would be all by myself. And like three weeks ago, at the beginning of March, I did it. Yes, you can, I thought you'd clap. Yeah, okay, thanks. It, it was a work trip, but still, alone in a hotel room. I went to Orlando uh, uh, at this church planting conference, and, um, and I went with this team of people, and they were awesome, and so I got to like extrovert so hard all day, and then I went, um, and I spent the night all by myself, and I lived my decade-long dream of being alone in a hotel room, and, um, and it was awesome. Like the first night, I really did. I laid down like this, and I was like, oh, this is amazing. And then the second night, it was great. But by the third night, this interesting thing happened. Uh, by the third night, uh, I, I kind of missed home. Like, I, I kind of missed people. By a couple of nights in, I was ready to come home. This was my, like, I think it was like my fourth trip in six weeks, which is uh, too many trips um, for me. And I loved who I was with, I loved what I was doing, but I missed my house and my bed and my pillow and my boys, all four of them. Uh, that includes Daniel, who asked 10,000 questions all the time. I missed them. Like, I missed their presence. It was this great trip, and I was living this dream of being in a hotel room all by myself, but there was this relentless thing in me that was longing for home. And I think we all have this thing inside us, this relentless thing inside us that, that longs for home, maybe our actual home, or maybe this idea of what we think that home should be. Uh, it, it, it's sometimes it's more clear than others that we have this longing, but I think we all have this longing inside of us. Uh, we spent the last few weeks here at Springbrook uh, during the Lenten season looking at wilderness passages, passages where someone goes away uh, and learns something about who God is or the, or the way he works and, and, and then often returns. Last week, we looked at this season for the Israelites where the people of God, they were far from home. And the prophet in Isaiah, he was crying out to them to, to remind them of that voice, that relentless thing inside them that was longing uh, for home within them. And then today, uh, we just read what might be the most famous wilderness passage in the entire Bible. The prodigal son, I love this story. I, I love it. It's the story of the boy who longs for home. That's what I would title it. I, I love it. And so I, I was so excited. I've been writing this sermon for a while. I knew it was coming, and I've been so excited about it. And I did all this research, and I was so excited to preach this sermon um, where uh, I thought I, what I would do is I would preach the sermon. I would say all the things that I thought maybe you've never heard about this story before. Because as I read, I mean, there are like rabbit holes of research here, and it's awesome. And, and, and so what I wanted to do was I wanted to make it new and fresh because this story gets told over and over and over and over again. But something happened yesterday. Um, I was just reading, like trying to slowly read through the scripture and prepare my heart for this morning. And um, what happened as I slowly read through is I felt uh, the voice of the Holy Spirit uh, just say, just read the story. Like, just tell the story. 
So I pitched all of the fun research. So there's no fun facts for you today. I saved them somewhere. Maybe we'll get back to them eventually. But my hope today is to listen to the Spirit of God and, uh, and to just tell the story. This story, it is stunning all by itself because it's our story. That's why we love it so much. That's why it gets told all the time. It's, it's our story. It's the story of all of us, every single person. We can all find ourselves somewhere in this passage in Luke 15. Our lives, every single one of us, they're made up of stories of searching. That's all of us. We're always searching. Uh, we search for, we spend our lives, we spend our lives searching for the kind of person that we want to be in the world. We, we search for the kind of work that we want to do. We search for people to love and people to love us. We, we search for the things that, that put skin on our bones and, and, in our, and it gives us guts that, that makes us human. We, we search for beauty and pleasure and hope and knowledge and meaning and purpose. And we spend our entire lives searching for home with this relentless thing in us that, that calls out for home. All of us, we're all searching for home. And so this is our story. Uh, Jesus, at the beginning, in the first two verses, he gets confronted by, by the Pharisees. I really just wanted to preach a whole sermon on the first two verses. One day we will. He gets confronted by the Pharisees uh, because he is, he, they don't like who he's hanging out with. I love the way the NLT says it. It says that he was hanging out with the tax collectors and notorious sinners. I want to know the notorious sinners. They sound wild. And so in Luke chapter 15, we, we, we have Jesus and he's been confronted by the Pharisees and they say, we don't like who you're hanging out with. He gets called a sinner and a drunkard all the time by them. We don't like who you're hanging out with. And then what we have in Luke 15 is Jesus's response to the Pharisees. And so uh, right before the, when we skip, the part that we skipped um, are two other stories. Jesus tells three stories of, uh, and they all have a similar theme. Um, all three stories, uh, something is lost and then something is found. And uh, there's a coin and sheep, and then we have a boy. And, um, and so he ends with this one. He ends with the story that we read. Uh, some stories, they start out with once upon a time or on a dark and stormy night. Or if you're a super nerd, your favorite story begins with in a galaxy far, far away. Um, I like nerds. It's awesome. But this one starts a little different. This one starts like this. He says... A man had two sons. A man had two sons, and the younger one, he comes to his dad, and he says, Father, I want what's coming to me when you're dead. Essentially, Father, you are as good as dead to me, so I want what's mine. And in this interesting turn, I think, the father gives it to him. I would never do that. I would say, I will give you what is coming to you, but it's not what you think. But the father, he gives the son what he asks for. And he divides up his property and he gives the younger son what is his. And it isn't long before the son sells it all and he moves to a distant land. Uh, we've seen the wilderness look a lot of different ways over the last few weeks. We've seen the wilderness look like a desert and a mountain, a metropolis last week and a literal wilderness. Uh, but for this boy, the wild looks like a distant land. That's what Luke calls it. And then he spends all of his money, right? He goes to the distant land. He spends all of his money. Our texts read like this. He wasted all his money on wild living. Some of us have been there, haven't we? 
You've been there. You know what that means. Uh, when Daniel and I got married and we were doing our first taxes together, um, you know when you do your taxes, you have to look at the taxes before and you have to know the information about the taxes before. And so um, we were doing our taxes for that year, but we had to look at the year. Uh, it's like the year before we got together when Daniel filed taxes on his own. And um, he had done that year he had done an internship in Kentucky for GE. And so he spent six months in Kentucky as a college student. And, um, and on his tax form, it said he made $19,000 in six months as a college student. I don't know if you've been to college, but that is a lot of money for, for a 20-something boy. And so he, so he goes, and he goes to Kentucky, he makes $19,000, and I sit on a thing, and I was like, where's all that money? Like, where's the $19,000? And he said, well, I bought a computer. I was like, a $10,000 computer? Like, how much was this computer? And yeah, right? And, uh, and so then we, we start talking, and, and what finally comes out is he was like, is essentially this, where is all that money? I spent it on wild living. That's what happened. The boy in our story, he's in a distant land and he is unrestrained by his father. That was Daniel. He went to the distant land of Kentucky. <laughs> unrestrained by home. And that's where we have this boy. He's in a distant land, unrestrained by the father. The message version, uh, Eugene Peterson's uh, version of, of this, it says that he went away undisciplined and dissipated, that he wasted everything that he had. And so he wastes it all. He blows it all. And then a famine comes throughout the country. And the things that were fun are no longer feeling fun anymore for the boy. We, we all have this time in our lives. It doesn't always look just like this. But we have these times in our lives when the distant land becomes less fun than it was before. This moment in our own stories when the money ran out or there's a baby on the way or an unexpected illness or an accident or a famine. I don't know what it was in your life, but we have this moment when wild living becomes hard living. When all the ways we're running, all the ways we're filling our lives go from fulfilling and fun to hard living. And that's where this boy is. And so he convinces a local farmer to hire him, and his job is to feed the pigs. A Jewish boy feeding pigs. I tried to think of an equivalent for Tennesseans in 2019, and then it struck me that for us it would be the exact opposite. It would be that we've been required to work for PETA, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals. For most of you, Tennesseans, that's against your beliefs about bacon, right? To work, go work for the vegans. And, th and, and this, this is this boy. He, he is doing this very job that is against his beliefs also about bacon. <laughs> so this, this Jewish boy, he feeds the pigs and then it gets worse. He catches himself staring at their food, wishing it was his. But no one gives him anything, our, our text tells us. It is the lowest point he can imagine. He's taken a job that goes against everything he has been raised to believe. And then in this job, in his lowest moment, he looks at the corn cobs that the pigs are eating and he wishes it was his. 
And the scriptures tell us here that it is at this point that the boy finally comes to his senses. This point, when he's staring at the hog food, he comes to his senses. In recovery circles, this moment is called rock bottom. It's this moment when the risk of changing uh, becomes less than the risk of staying the same. In rock bottom, it looks different for all of us. For this boy, it's his lowest low moment, but it's not that way for everyone. Uh, I listen to a podcast really regularly. I'm not going to tell you what it is because the language is terrible and you'll email me too much about it, but I listen to a podcast um, and it's, it's a guy who's sober and I, I'm so fascinated by the recovery movement. And, and so I, I listen to this guy, he's sober and he regularly talks about uh, his rock bottom. And for him, it was this moment um, when he realized that every Everything that he thought would make him happy was no longer working. So he's an actor, he's famous, and so there's this moment in his life where he's just come off a press tour for a movie that he did that was wildly successful. And so he leaves that press tour and he goes to, on a vacation to Hawaii that he pays for with his friends. And he does as many drugs as he wants and he does whatever he wants in Hawaii. And then he's going to fly home from Hawaii to walk onto a movie set where he has been paid a fortune uh, to act on this movie set. And so on the flight home from Hawaii uh, to the movie set, he has this layover in San Francisco. And he says he finds himself sitting in the corner of an airport bar downing Jack and Diet Cokes. And it hits him that in this moment, he has everything he's ever wanted in life. Like everything he ever dreamed of as a kid, he has in this exact moment. He has a job and drugs and women and fame. He has $1 million in the bank. And he says all of his life, he said, if I had $1 million, and now he does. He has everything that he ever thought would make him happy. And he realizes in this moment that he has never been more unhappy than he has ever been in his entire life. He had everything. This wasn't pig slop. This was, I have everything I've ever wanted and it doesn't fill me up and I am more unhappy than I've ever been in my entire life. This is the kind of moment that we're talking about here. A boy who squandered everything in a distant land who finally comes to his senses. It's the moment uh, in our lives when all of the illusions of what might make us happy get exposed as being just that, illusions. And he wakes up to himself. That's how one translation says it. He finally wakes up to himself. This Jewish boy longing for pig food wakes up to himself. Um, I think a lot of us think that rock bottom is just for addicts or junkies. But I think that we can benefit from seeing that the illusions of what we think might make us happy are just illusions. That's all they are. When, when, when you do the research of how much money will make people happy, um, up to a certain point, it works. Do you know what the point is? Up to a certain point of a, a yearly salary, it works. $50,000, that's the point. When you make up to $50,000, the research shows that money does make you happier. And every dollar after that, it goes down. It is an illusion. It's a complete illusion. That's where we are, this boy. So he comes up with a plan. I'll ask my father to hire me. That's what he says. I won't be his son anymore, but I won't be hungry anymore. And so he goes home and he practices his speech. I love that part because I'm always practicing my speech. 
I did this as a kid. I did this as a girl. I remember coming home trying to convince my parents that the reason I was late was because I was just being so helpful to people. So I was going to be late. I was just helping everybody. And, and I didn't call you because you don't like me to use the phone in the car. And, and here, let me give you the 85 reasons why it's fine that I did this thing that you did not want me to do. And that's what he's doing. He's coming up with his speech. And then the very best part, the very best verses of Luke 15. Luke 15, 20 says this. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. He never stopped waiting for him. Ever. Do you hear that? God has never stopped waiting for you. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son. Aristotle says that great men never run in public. I disagree. We have a great man, a good father, and he is running in public toward his son. And the boy, he starts his speech with a father has none of it. In the middle of his words, he embraces him and he kisses him. And he calls to the servants and he says, bring him the finest robes. And those would have been his robes, the dad's. He says, bring him my clothes. And he says, put a ring on his finger to show that he is mine and put shoes on his feet and kill the meat that we've been saving and invite the whole town because we are going to party. Because my son was dead, and now he's alive. He was lost, but now he's found. And then my second favorite verse, Luke 15, 24. This is my life verse of this week. So the party began. <laughs> so the party began. It kind of reads like a joke, right? The son wished his father dead. He spent all of his father's money on all the things he thought would make him happy, but then he wasn't, so he comes back expecting to be stoned by his town, and instead he comes back to a kiss and a ring and a party. The text said that the father was filled with love and compassion, and as I read it, I think it's, it's like a comedic level of love and compassion. It is reckless, reckless love and compassion that the father lavishes on his son. So the party began. Uh, but there's more. Tim Keller, when he talks about this story, he says that there's act one and act two. And we just read act one, but there's act two. Remember how the story began? A man had two sons. There's another brother and he's working in the field and he hears the music and the dancing and he calls up to one of the servants, what's going on? And the servant says, it's a party. Your brother, he has returned home safe and sound. The calf has been killed and the town has come out. It is a party. And the older brother is ticked. The message version of it says he sulks angrily away. The older brother, he, he refuses the fun. Our text tells us that. He refuses to go into the party. Luke 15, 28. The older brother was angry and would not go in. That's what it says. But then this thing happens that I feel like I've missed for forever. This thing happens. The father, a good man, he comes out after his boy. He comes out of the party after his boy. But the older son, he continues to refuse to come in. He says, I've done everything for you. 
I've done everything for you. I've done everything that you've asked, and you have never thrown a party for, like this for me. You've not even killed a goat for me and my friends, and now you go kill the fattened calf. You've never spent a dime celebrating me, and then this guy shows up after spending all of his dimes on prostitutes, and you celebrate him like this. The older brother, he has his own story of searching. He, he didn't do what the younger brother did. He didn't demand his share and then leave. He was the one working, working so hard he didn't even know the party started. That's where he is. He's the good one. Or as Mark Twain says, he's a good man in the worst sense of the word. That's what we see. We read about this son and plenty of us think I can completely understand why he is so mad about this party. But if we read this correctly, if we read this parable rightly, then the older brother looms in this story like, the, like a character of everything joyless and petty and self-promoting that lives in all of us. We don't just relate to the wild living of the younger brother. We relate to the self-promotion and self-protection of the older brother. Sometimes I wish the story ended in act one, that it ended with the wild son and the wild father who's lavishing his love on him, but it doesn't end there. It doesn't. There's another son, the son who's missing it. The son who's standing outside the party, wondering where the love is for him. The son who is wondering why good things don't happen for good people. Uh, I want to read from Frederick Buechner here. This is what he has to say about the older son. The joke of it is that of course the father loves him and even so. The father, he's always loved him. He will always love him. Only the elder brother never noticed it because he was, it was never love that he was bucking for, only his due. The fattened calf, the best scotch, the hoedown, it could all have been his too any time he asked for them, except he never thought to ask. He never thought to ask for them because he was too busy trying to cheerlessly and religiously earn them. The father, he looks at his son and he says, you don't understand. All of this is yours too. It's our party. It isn't his party. It's our party. You have been with me and everything I have is yours. This land and this party, you never had to earn any of it. This is all yours because you are mine. It's the story of two brothers two brothers turning toward the same direction. We have one brother who's walking from a distant land and another brother who's walking from the fields and both of them are walking toward home. Both of them. I have a friend uh, who, whose teenage, a few weeks ago, his teenage daughter left home um, and she left home a few, in a few weeks she has spent $7,000 in cash and she lives in a tent and is homeless. And we were texting the other day, and I'm, I'm saying, how is she? And he says this. This is what my friend says about his daughter. He says, my heart is broken, and I am longing to bring her home. This is the heart of the father in the story that we just read. A dad longing to bring both boys home. 
Did you notice that? I don't think I ever did till yesterday. He is longing for both boys, not just the younger one, not just the wild one, both of them. He finds the younger one while he's a long way off and he comes out of the party after the older one when he's refusing to come in. The father, the God picture of this story, he isn't hiding out hoping that each boy will find him. In both stories, the father comes out trying to find his boy, longing to bring them home. This is how the father feels about both of his boys. He longs to bring them home. The band can come on up. One last story. Um, Eugene Peterson is, is uh, my favorite pastor. And in, he passed away in October. And, um, and so I was reading an article about his funeral. And his son spoke at his funeral. His son is named Leif, which is a very cool name. And so Leif, uh, Leif Peterson, he tells this story about his dad. He said that his dad, he and his dad used to joke that Eugene Peterson had everybody fooled because he only had one sermon ever. That, that, that he only really preached one sermon. And, and so Leif Peter, Peterson stands up at his funeral and he says, my dad fooled all of you. He only had one sermon ever and I know it well because for the last 50 years he has snuck into my room late at night and he has whispered this sermon over me. And this is what a 50 year old man said his father had been whispering in his ear since he was born. God loves you. He's on your side. He's coming after you. He is relentless. God loves you. He's on your side. He is coming after you and he is relentless. When you have seasons in a distant land where you buy into the illusion that you will find love and life and happiness and all of the ways that the world promises you that it will come, God loves you. He's on your side. He's coming after you and he is relentless. And when you find yourself in the fields, cheerlessly and religiously trying to earn whatever it is that you want from God, unable to celebrate your brother, God loves you. He's on your side. He is coming for you and he is relentless. He never stopped waiting for either of them. We don't really do altar calls here. Maybe we should. Um, but I wanna say this. If you, at this point in your life, are eating the 2019 equivalent of pig slop, uh, there are gonna be people in the back who would love to pray for you. Will you let us pray for you? And then if you are in the fields, if you're brave enough to look inside yourself and see that inside is some bitter and some angry and some sulking, some resentful that someone else got the good thing that you wanted, will you let us pray for you? I, I live there. I live in both places somehow. It's part of being a person, but we're a praying people. That's what we believe. We believe that we all spend time in the fields and we all spend time in the distant land. And so why not pray for each other? So we'll be in the back. We're gonna take a few minutes and be quiet. We do this every week. We call it Selah. There'll be some verses on the screen if they're helpful, but let's just spend a few minutes. I'll pray for us. God, 
we welcome your spirit in the quiet. Will you give us the courage to look inside ourselves and find where we are in the story? to look outside of ourselves and find where you are in the story. We're searching people. And what it seems like here is that you want to be found. So God, will you send your spirit to let us draw near to you and find you. The only thing that will fulfill us, the only thing bring us life, true life, true freedom. Will you give us ears to hear the song of this morning that you love us, that you are on our side, that you are coming for us and that you are relentless. You will not stop coming after us. In your name we pray, amen.